Eating healthy, living healthy, being healthy. This is the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast. A podcast focused on holistic wellness and teaching you about incorporating the keto diet and lifestyle changes to achieve an energetic balance. Teaching you how to live now so you don't struggle to live later. And now, your host, Jessica Ankaya. such thing as keto versus vegan. You can absolutely have the best of both worlds. In fact, it is much encouraged for you to do both. The benefits of doing both are numerous. You get to take the mitochondria fueling fats from the keto world and the energizing vegetables from the vegan world. The result is a nutrition powerhouse. Say goodbye to the processed meats, cheese, and dairy out of the keto and the bread, pasta, and beans out of the vegetarian slash vegan. Maybe you aren't ready to part with any of the higher carb food items if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. No problem. You will not have to eliminate carbs forever. You will just simply learn to intermittently cycle them in your diet a few days a week after at least doing two to three weeks of a strict keto. If you know me and have read through my blog, then you know that I am not a big proponent of long-term carb restriction. There are several theories on this, but overall, the keto diet is meant to be cycled off and on throughout the year. An important takeaway here is to remember that before even choosing to do a keto vegan or a keto vegetarian, you first need to make that ultimate decision to consume foods that you know will fuel your mitochondria and avoid those that are highly processed. It is more than just weight loss here. It's about feeling good and about choosing foods that will help prevent you from getting any chronic diseases or cancer. Maybe you already have a disease or you already have cancer. Well, in that case, you definitely want to make sure you choose foods that will be fueling for your mitochondria. I think that one of the things that turned me into a keto vegan, or sometimes I take a keto vegetarian approach, is the relentless times I have explained to people that certain meats, such as hot dogs and sausage and other heavily processed meats, are just not healthy. I've had many people ask me, well, it's low carb. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it should be fine, right? Well, yeah, it is low carb but you're putting carcinogens into your body because of what they use to preserve those types of meats. So overall, it just doesn't count. Before you decide on a keto, vegan, or keto vegetarian lifestyle, I want to take a moment to reiterate the importance of incorporating chakra balance into your life. If you aren't sure what chakras are, I recommend you go to my podcast, which is called Keto Diet and Chakra Balance for Your Health. In there, I explain the chakra system and how it could be directly correlated with the keto diet. Overall, I feel like before you start any type of diet, you should always lay the groundwork for mental stability. By this, I mean get your head screwed on straight. If you don't have the right attitude or don't pay attention to your chakra centers, then it will be hard to follow any kind of diet. Once you are done listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you refer back to 
some of the other podcasts that are in the Chakra series. One of them in particular is called How Balancing Your Solar Plexus Chakra Can Help with Weight Loss. The reason why I like this one in direction to weight loss is because the solar plexus is involved with our willpower. And if your willpower is not in check, it's going to be hard to lose weight. In order to get the most of the Shocker series podcast, I would listen to all of them and learn and figure out how you can best balance your chakras to be most successful in your new lifestyle. Okay, so how do we get started on the keto vegan diet? The first thing I want to touch on is a Keto Mojo blood monitoring device. Now, there are other ways to monitor your ketones, but I highly recommend monitoring via blood over the other ways. The reason for this is that there is a critical ketone used by the body, which is called beta-hydroxybutyrate, also known as BHB, which is carried through the blood so it can get to the cells to be used for energy and fuel. Since our blood ketone levels are not profoundly affected by different variables, unlike the ketones in the breath or urine, blood ketone testing is the most accurate representation of how many ketones we are producing. Another alternative, if you don't want to go the blood testing route, is by using urine test strips for monitoring. Even though I am not a huge proponent of these due to accuracy, However, in terms of cost, they are cheaper than going the other routes, say, with testing your blood or even purchasing what we call a breathalyzer. So another important tool to have when monitoring your carbs is an app. Now, if you don't have a smartphone, you could always put this app on your computer. The app is called Chronometer. I love this app because it makes carb monitoring very user-friendly. All you have to do is download it onto your phone or onto your computer, and then you enter in your biometrics, which includes your height, weight, age, how much weight you want to lose, what your goals are, you know, that kind of thing. You also get to pick out which type of keto diet you would prefer, such as a rigorous or a moderate or relaxed. I tend to like the relaxed or the moderate version because it allows for a little bit more carbs, like say between 40 to 50 net carbs per day. However, if you're dealing with a long-term illness such as cancer or chronic fatigue, it may be more advantageous for you to do a rigorous setting on chronometer, which would be about 20 net carbs per day or under. Overall, I find it very difficult to stay under 20 net carbs in a day. Sometimes I do this approach if I'm trying to get started back on another keto run after taking a break from it. I find I feel the best if I stay under 30 net carbs per day. Everybody is different. I think that for me, 30 net carbs per day or less is a sufficient number. And I think for you would be good enough to help give your mitochondria a boost while allowing you to get into a deep ketosis state. And I think that it makes it easier for people who are keto vegans or vegetarians because a lot of times we can't eat meat, which is no carbs. So we have to resort to things like tempeh or hempe, which have very little carbs, especially tempeh, but still it counts into your total equation. When you decide to go with chronometer, I would highly recommend that you purchase the gold version. It allows for more in-depth monitoring of your keto diet, and it incorporates 
an intermittent fasting component, which is also crucial. If you're interested, please go to my show notes and click the chronometer link. Okay, so now we get to talk about scales. So overall, I would highly recommend you purchase a food scale and also purchase a weight scale. Yes, I know the weight scale is not always fun. The reason why you need a food scale is sometimes it's better to record in chronometer the amount of ounces or grams that the food weighs as opposed to the cups. It allows for more accurate um, net carb measurement. I have seen more success with my patients who own a scale. Listen, I know that sometimes they may not be fun, but I have found that they are very good for compliance. Even if you don't weigh yourself on a daily basis, that's fine. Maybe pick one time per week to weigh yourself and stick to that certain day and time, and then you can see certain changes over a week's period of time. Now, the foods that you're going to pick for keto, vegan, or vegetarian is very healthy, good fats, proteins, and vegetables, and of course, fruits that are lower carb based. One thing to keep in mind is that keto vegan is not the same as a keto vegetarian. If you're wanting a keto vegetarian approach, you would just follow the keto vegan diet, but you would also incorporate some dairy, eggs, or fish, you know, whatever you would decide. The most common foods for a vegan lifestyle include the following. Like when we're talking about good fat, we're talking about avocados or coconut oil, olives, macadamias. If you're keto pescatarian or keto vegetarian, then you would do eggs and also salmon. For proteins, you would include stuff such as tempeh, tempeh, which you need to, of course, measure out and weigh on your scale in terms of ounces so the carbs don't add up. Tofu, which you be careful with because it is made with soy and you need to make sure the tofu that you buy is completely organic since soy can be genetically modified. Uh, you'd also put in nuts such as macadamias, almonds, pecans, Brazil nuts, and different sorts of seeds such as hemp, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. And again, if you're a keto vegetarian, any type of fish or eggs, depending on which type of keto vegetarian you are, such as pescatarian or lacto-ovo-vegetarian. Overall, I would recommend that you get into a strict ketosis for at least 14 days, if not 30 days, and then start to integrate two to three days per week where you incorporate more carbs. So when I say strict ketosis, I mean 50 net carbs or less per day. I have found personally that I get into a better ketosis if I stay under 35 net carbs, but of course everybody's different. My body tends to be a little bit used to keto because I've been doing keto for 11 years or so. It just depends on how you respond. The one way you'll know if you're doing good is that you monitor your ketones. You check it in, uh, via blood or you check it through the urine. If it seems too difficult to think that you have to commit to a month of strict keto, then just do two weeks. You will find that you will feel so good after the two weeks that, hey, maybe you decide you want to go longer. Most people that I talk to feel this way. After you've done your strict keto stint, then start incorporating a higher amount, amount of net carbs about two to three days a week. Now, when I say higher carbs, I mean a net carb amount of 
around 100 to 150 net carbs those days. When you do this, you want to make sure that you incorporate nutritious, wholesome net carbs, such as mangoes or bananas or basmati rice, sweet potatoes, or other foods that have a higher nutrient value but are not necessarily high in carbs. The important thing on these days is you don't want to undo everything you just created. You just did a keto stent and got yourself into a beautiful fat burning mode and are revving your mitochondria up. On those days, if you decide to eat donuts or cake or heavily processed foods, then you're going to destroy that powerhouse that you've created and it's going to be harder to get back into ketosis. Okay, so you want to make sure that you're eating very nutritious foods on those two days where you cycle in more carbs. The other thing that I recommend for people when you do cycle in more carbs is try to make those days that you do higher carb limits, like between 100 and 150 net carbs, make sure you're using those days to do your high intensity interval training exercises because you're going to have the most fuel during that time. Sometimes people will find that when they're doing their 30-day stent that they want to avoid a lot of heavy exercising during that time. And I totally agree with this because it's way more difficult to do long endurance types of exercises or weight training when you're limiting your carbs. So maybe during when you're doing your 14-day or 30-day stent or even eight-week stent of strict ketosis, maybe you just do simple things and maybe like restorative yoga or walking or just things that are not high intense. So you're more apt to stay on the strict keto plan. And then after you've done your strict keto cycle for around 14 days to one month or eight weeks, whatever you choose, then when you start to incorporate more net carbs in your diet a few days a week, you pick those days where you start the high interval intensity training again, such as lifting weights or long distance running, etc. Now that I've brushed on keto carb cycling, I want to talk a little bit about the keto flu. Now, a lot of people aren't really sure what the keto flu is. Essentially, what it is, is when you first go into ketosis, sometimes for a few days, maybe a week, everybody's different, you will be burning certain fat stores in your body. Well, your fat stores hold a lot of toxins in them and heavy metals. So once you start burning these and eliminating them through your body, what happens is you might feel achiness, tired, um, the list goes on. So what you want to do is help your body eliminate those toxins. Now, it's good that you're eliminating them, but that being said, you have to choose certain ways to help eliminate them. Now, one of the best ways that I think helps with keto flu is bone broth because it helps replenish the electrolytes. But in terms of elimination, it doesn't really do that. So in this case, I'd recommend that you just drink lots of water, like a plentiful supply of water. I've always have told my patients that the solution to pollution is dilution. So you just want to make sure you're, you're just drinking tons of water to help eliminate that waste products from your, your body. The other thing that I'd like in terms of detox is activated charcoal capsules. What those do is they kind of help to bind up the toxins in the gut when you take them and help you to eliminate them faster. Now, my favorite way to detox is through a sauna. 
a sauna is a perfect method to help detox when you're burning ketones. As I mentioned earlier, when you go into ketosis, you're essentially burning those fat stores. And first they come from your liver and then from your body. So a sauna is wonderful because you passively sweat out toxins from your body. In turn, this helps to give your liver a break that it needs. And it just makes the whole detoxification process much simpler. I have had people ask me, well, what about my long hours at the gym? Doesn't that help to eliminate toxins? Yeah, it does, but not as much when you use a sauna. It's a different type of sweating. When you're using a sauna, you're doing more of a passive type of sweating versus an active type of sweating. When you passively perspire, you eliminate all kinds of toxins in your body, such as heavy metals, mold, and more. When you exercise, you're incorporating active sweating, which is considered fight or flight time, and your body is allocating energy towards your muscles, lungs, and heart. However, when you passively sweat with sauna therapy, your body is essentially heated from the outside rather than within in a restful state, which this restful state allows your body to generate more energy from the incandescent lamps to heal and repair itself as it decides that this is the best time to release toxins from your sweat. Now, there's a multitude of benefits of sauna therapy. I'm not going to go over all of them in this podcast, but what I do recommend is that you read my article called Seven Ways Sauna Therapy Will Heal Your Body. In this post, I also explain the two companies that I recommend that you purchase your sauna from. Both companies are very great and they have there's benefits and minuses to each company. But either one, whichever one you you choose to purchase, good for you. I mean, a sauna is a great investment. You will save on medical bills, and they even have them now where you can finance them. If you don't want to pay all up front, then you can do that. Uh, That's what I like about sauna space is you can actually do payments. And I think their saunas range anywhere from two to $3,000 to $5,000, $6,000. Now that I've kind of touched a little bit on detox, let me kind of go into ketones and glucose slash glucose ketone index. It's very important to monitor your ketones on a daily basis, especially at first, for the first week. If you kind of get into a rhythm and you know you're in ketosis because the way you feel, then you could probably slouch down to maybe monitoring your ketones just a few times a week. I think it's good to monitor your ketones at least once a day because I really think it helps in terms of compliance. There's just something about knowing that you're in ketosis and realizing that you're earning the fruits of your labor. The choice in how often you monitor your ketones is just completely up to you. I mean, you just, it it depends on your diet and if you're changing your diet a lot and, and you're kind of straying from the lower carb that you normally eat and you're adding in a few more carbs and you're going to have to monitor it more. So it just depends on you. Say that you're going along and you're in a good ketosis of around one millimole per liter, which that's measured in the blood. You feel so good that you decide to eat a banana. So after this happens, don't be surprised if when you check your ketones again, that you may be producing very little ketones, if at all any. It doesn't take much, not that a banana is bad for you, but it can deter your efforts when you're trying to get in a good ketosis for the first initial weeks of doing keto. So what's your ideal range? Well, I would say 
you want to be somewhere between 0.5 to 1.5 millimoles per liter, and that's measuring in the blood. If you're using urine test strips, you want to see that the color change is either a light pink to like a darker purple, or I would say a lighter purple. Again, everybody is different. What works for you may not work for someone else. If you feel better with more carbs, then just try to keep your ketone level around 0.5. If you're dealing with a chronic disease or even cancer, you may opt to have a higher ketone level around 1.5 millimoles per liter or more, since this tends to help treat the cancer or the chronic disease better. As far as tools, I've already talked about the Keto Mojo meter above. Um, again, I would highly recommend that you get that. Another thing I do want to add about the Keto Mojo meter is that it is also good for tracking your blood sugar. A lot of times people think, oh, well, I'm not a diabetic. Why do I have to track my blood sugar? Well, blood sugar values also go hand in hand with ketosis. So what you want to do with your blood sugar is you would want to check that at least once a day along with your ketones if you're using the Keto Mojo meter. You want your blood sugars to be under 90 fasting, okay? The lower the better, even in the 70s are, are very good and, and, you know, and I've seen people do very well in that range. This also depends on your background, like if you're a diabetic, then it's going to be different for you, so you'd have to consult with your healthcare provider on that. The one thing that you want to keep in mind is when you're checking your blood sugar and your ketones, is that it's good to also input it into a, there's a calculator that you can find online called a glucose ketone index. This marker is excellent because it's a more accurate um, picture for tracking your metabolic health, as well as your level of ketosis. And it's easily tracked, again, if you have a blood glucose and a ketone testing meter like Keto Mojo. When I am doing a strict diet, I try to figure out my GKI at least once every day. If you go to the Keto Mojo website, they have a calculator there that can assist you in figuring this out. All you do is input your blood glucose along with your ketone values. So as you can see, your blood glucose does matter when it comes to ketosis. If you're not sure where to find this calculator, just go to uh, the show notes of this podcast and click under what's all this talk about GKI and click on Keto Mojo and it'll take you to the Keto Mojo website and then click search and then you can type in GKI and you can find it there. When we're looking at the GKI values, if you're wanting to maintain a healthy lifestyle or lose weight, then you need to opt for a GKI somewhere between six to nine. If you have some long-term disorders such as type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, then you need to be somewhere between 3 and 6. For someone undergoing cancer treatment, epilepsy, or some kind of chronic inflammatory disease, then I would say you need to be somewhere between 1 and 3. The decision to monitor your GKI is completely up to you. You don't have to do this, but overall I feel like it gives you a better picture of your metabolic profile when you are doing a keto diet. So I would highly suggest that you look into this calculator and include it within your diet regimen. Okay, well, that's about it for today. I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast and you learned. And if you have any questions, you can ask me. Recently, another blogger 
Um, her name is Rebecca Huff. She has thatorganicmom.com. And myself uh, created a forum called Healthologist. And I'm so excited about this forum because in there you can find valuable information about improving your health and you can commune with other people that are also on the same journey as you are towards wellness. We just started this platform. So right now we are offering at a price for $29 per year which I feel like is relatively cheap to kind of commune and get advice from experts on how to direct your lifestyle. So I would get the membership now while the price is good. I'm so glad that you have found me on the blog. I'm here. I want to help you find a healthier way of life through keto and chakra balance. Please listen to my other podcast and learn about finding wellness with incorporation of these two concepts. Also sign up for my email list to get personalized updates from me. Thank you. This has been the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast with Jessica Ankaya. Follow the Holistic Keto Goddess on social media like Pinterest, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions about today's show or how you can live a healthier life, visit HolisticKetoGoddess.com and go more in-depth with blogs and healthy living resources. Like, share, subscribe, and listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Holistic Keto Goddess Podcast with Jessica Ankaya.